Nebraska struggled out of the gate against a shorthanded Minnesota team and fell at home 24-17. Does the team have it in them to find a way to win with probably the final game of 2020? We'll break down the game from Saturday, as well as looking ahead to Champions Week, a matchup against Rutgers, with special guest former Oscar Jeremiah Searles. Sean Callahan will join us to talk about Nebraska recruiting because early signing day is on Wednesday. All that coming up next on NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Severe. Welcome to NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. Deja vu all over again. <laughs> Nebraska <laughs> loses a game where many people thought they had a pretty good chance to win against a shorthanded Minnesota team. I know you felt the same way, Jay Moore, joining us, former Husker. You watch it and you think to yourself, how are they throwing the ball this much in windy conditions? Why the first play of the game? There's still so many questions. Yeah, it's, it's exhausting trying to run it through my mind, you know, the last few days, thinking like, okay, what do they see? What do they do? You know, and it's just they overcomplicate it. Mm-hmm. You know, football's a really simple game. It's control the game, the, the clock, you know, control the possession, you know, run the football. Blocking and tackling. Yeah, don't commit turnovers, don't commit penalties, and it's just, we seem to just overcomplicate it. But I just look at that and, you know, first play, you're throwing it. And, and granted, now we, we obviously, I, I believe we're probably going to talk about the whole practice thing, but yeah. you're playing your first semi-cold weather, not great weather game of the year. And early in that week, the weather was great. I mean, I was playing golf yeah. during the middle of that week. It was, it, was, yeah. it was phenomenal weather. Yeah. And so if they're practicing, even if they practice in the morning, it's nothing comparable. So if, if they are running that play a bunch of times, uh, you know, how many swing passes do they throw? I mean, I'm probably thousands of them they've, mm-hmm. they've worked it on. Right. But all of a sudden you do that, cold weather, first play of the game. It's just a different scenario. And I just, when a team is so fragile as this team is, you want to get them off to a good start. Because they get off to good starts, you're like, they usually play pretty decent throughout right. the year. Yeah, it was a throwback to Illinois, too, yeah. right? Yeah, it's We like, saw it against Illinois. It was a different play. It was an RPO a little bit. Of course, it was Luke McCaffrey. But you watch these two plays together. They're very similar in terms of this is not how you want to start a football game with either a lost yardage turnover against Illinois or a fumble on Wando Robinson where you're all of a sudden losing that many yards and you're sitting at second and 19. Yeah, I, it's such a high-risk, low-reward play to me. It's... No, I get it. If you you execute all the time in practice, but to me, if you already messed that play up earlier, I, I'd have a hard time. I mean, that's just maybe that's why I'm not a head coach and right. I'm not in a coaching business because I would think, okay, let's 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 put that one back on the, on the shelf, shelf for yeah. for a little bit and let's just get off. Hey, maybe you know Minnesota is can't stop the run and they're giving up almost seven yards a carry. Maybe we should just run Dedrick straight downhill at them mm-hmm. and get north and south and quit trying to get too cute and going east and west and again over complicating things right it's just and the confidence you give also and confidence is a big thing in the sport you know you give your offensive linemen this confidence that we're we know you can beat them and yeah. we're going to go behind you all day long and get them in a groove that's when we've got yeah. jeremiah Searles coming on the yeah. show and we ask him you know when you i, I would imagine o-line would just love to know, say hey we're going to come at you for four quarters mm-hmm we're going to run this thing 60 times and try to stop us. Exactly. And you get them in a groove. You get them going. You get the, the time. You get those double teams going to the second level. Mm-hmm. You get the polars. You get the pin. All that stuff. And you, just, you, would think, you would think that's what you would do, but apparently not. I mean, they, had, they had different ideas and yes. different game plans. And Maybe they thought Minnesota thought that Nebraska <laughs> was going to do that, and they said, let's right. go the other way. And right, trick yeah. Them. Another tough loss, but of course – we need you to contact us to tell us what you think about Nebraska football. Want to keep the conversations going tonight? You can reach out a number of different ways. 
All you can do is text us or email us, bigred at netnebraska.org. You can also find us on social media. I have this tablet right next to me. Leave your comments and questions on Facebook and Twitter. We're monitoring them all tonight, so don't delay. Here's our new all-new sideline survey for this week. Have you seen Nebraska improve in three years under the Scott Frost era? This is simple. Yes or no. 79% of the people say they have seen improvement from what he took over in 2017 after Mike Riley to now. You can go to our website and you can cast your vote as well. Now it's time to go deeper into the playbook with Jay Moore in the huddle. We're going to look at two run plays tonight. Um, we'll, we'll, the play after this, we'll look at Wondell Robinson's nice run. But first, I want to look at Wiley's big run. After we take the lead, gather momentum, and you think they can end out the half strong, but they allow us in this big play. So... You get your normal, you know, tight end to the top. This is a front side run here uh, into the boundary. And I want to highlight Caleb Tanner right here. Now, I'm, I can't totally see, but to my guess, he's a five technique. He's a shade on the tackle here, which means he has C-gap responsibilities. Because I believe this is Casey Rogers. He's A-gap player. And I'm going to tell me Will Honus would be your B-gap player in this situation. You have DiCaprio Boodle, I believe, or no, Cam Taylor Brett up top. He has no work here. Um, except for the tight end. So as we play this, all of a sudden, Caleb Tanner has lost gap responsibility, gap integrity. He is now a B-gap player. Because now I look at where Will Honus is, and he's thinking, okay, I'm still A-gap, or he gets lost in the shuffle. And really what it comes down to, it's just this bad fundamental football. It's just not great X's and O's, understanding what your your system is. I don't. Caleb looks like he's actually was running some sort of stunt in here. I don't know. It's just, it's not what you needs to be on this play because now all of a sudden you have a huge crease here i mean you have no one in this gap the cut tight ends kicking out onto uh cam taylor brett the safety's coming downhill and you got this huge gap here and he now you got the the guard working up now casey rogers needs to try to make this play get him down but what also hurts is you have ben silly working backside he falls down if he doesn't fall down now maybe he can make this play right here but unfortunately he doesn't and it's just for, for a defense that's played rather, you know, particularly well in, uh, in this game and other games, it's one play, all of a sudden you let moment, uh, momentum change, flip, get back into it. Now, let's look at the Wondell Robinson's run. Now, where this, the play against Nebraska was a frontside run. Now, Nebraska is going to look to hit this frontside, but they're going to cut it backside. But I want to highlight uh, Ben Hart does a really good job of getting the defensive end on the ground to cut block. Now you're going to get Farniak working up second level, getting guys, getting on the linebacker. Now you have a huge crease here. Excellent backside run, play, whatever. I mean, this is, this is, this is great execution. Wish we could have seen more uh, of this in run game. But <laughs> then you get the wide receiver gets in his way. I think if he could just was not there, he can cut this thing backside. He's probably going to score. But um, he gets in his way. Like I said, yep, highlight, he probably could have go backside there and, and maybe score. Maybe these guys catch. But I don't know. But it seems like he obviously got in his way. But... Really good execution. Would have liked to have seen more run game, better run game execution out of Nebraska in this one. But, uh, again, it's kind of the same thing, different day. One of the best plays of the game, obviously, showing Wandell's skill if you can get him. That's multiple times now that wide receivers have gotten in Wandell Robinson's way. Yeah, it's, I think, yeah, it's that one. And I think even like Luke McCaffrey's run against Ohio State, I think someone gets in the way as well. He yeah. probably kept him from scoring. But that was a good execution by Nebraska on, a, on the cutback there. And, Poor execution defensively when you've got the lead and you got to such a bad start, you overcome some adversity, then boom, you let them back into it on some just poor execution, just poor fundamental defense. You said it's roller coasters constantly yeah. during the game. All right, 
Let's look at the highlights. We have to. It's part of the rules. Obviously, it was a very cold day and windy day down on the field, and this is how Nebraska starts the game. This actually goes down as a fumble for Wando Robbins, a little behind him. You lose those yards, and now all of a sudden you're you're behind the sticks. Then Adrian gets hurt in the next uh, – somehow his hand gets hurt. Luke McCaffrey comes in. He throws it inside and low. The ball gets tipped up. Interception automatically puts Minnesota into a great spot field position-wise. And this is fourth and one. They'd stopped Abraham twice before this to either no gain or a loss of one. And then he goes here for 26 yards for the touchdown to make it 7-0. Um, well blocked, I thought, on that one. Do you think it was well blocked? Yeah, it's just one of those. You're, you're, you're playing so heavy. And if he just gets in this, through that line, he's gone. It's just everyone's up so tight. Starting punter William Pristep was out for the game. And so Crawford, the backup punter, really kind of the third string because uh, the kid from Australia is also hurt. He has an eight-yard punt. Morgan comes back, goes to Ottman Bell, who had five catches for 82 yards on the day and the first field goal of the game to make it 10-0. All of a sudden, Nebraska, through one quarter, is down in a game where many people thought they had a chance to win by double digits. Yeah. You get off a good start against a team that's struggling. Not even struggling, but dealing with issues. Mm -hmm. And you can maybe step on their throat. Maybe they would you know, throw up the white flag. But you get a good start. They give momentum. And now you're in for a ball game. That was the play of the day. You broke it down. Wanda Robinson going for 47 yards. And then here, this reminds me of a little bit of Bill Callahan offense. We saw this to you know, Kyler Reed, a Ben Cotton, that kind of system. Yeah, it's a, it's a good good throw, good protection. You a little play action there and a good execution. Put touches on it as well. And then you had the tight end drive where you had Jack Stoll had a couple catches on this drive to get him down there to have a chance. Uh, you had Dedrick Mills getting the best run of the day. That's 16 yards uh, down inside the 10-yard line. And then Martinez. This is, again, another well-blocked you get Jurgens getting the pancake in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there have been another good play to, to break down there. We get the, the center polling. Mm-hmm. Just great. I mean, just glad they didn't call holding there because it seems <laughs> like anytime you get your arm around and they want to call holding as we've seen. And again, here we go as this play again with poor execution by Caleb Tanner and that front side of the defense. Yeah, we saw this breakdown on the huddle play. 61 yards by Wiley taking down the sideline. Hey, props to Dismuke for catching him. I was surprised that he got him. Uh, then Morgan, here's the play where yeah. Morgan starts running. He gets hit. It's crown of the helmet. I know a lot of people are questioning this. It's about the fact that he's looking down instead of up when he makes the hit. And yeah, I mean, it's... I hate the call. It's a bad call, in my opinion. If they don't flag it on the field, I don't think you should be able to go back and review it and throw the flag. Yeah. Because otherwise, you should be able to do it with every penalty, every holding, miss, pass interference call. At this point, though, when it, the rule's in place, we've we got to play the best to try to keep the guys on the field. Uh, start the second half now, and Adrian actually had a couple of really nice runs uh, in this drive where he took advantage of his feet. This is a good throw here, uh, getting it down uh, to Martin to get a, a nice gain. And, uh, and now a field goal that... Cup had been so good over the last month or so. Hadn't missed one going back all the way to October. Misses that field goal. Scott Frost brought up. He thought it took a little energy out of the team. And then this play, Benhart just kind of got beat on the outside. Yeah, I mean, he just he got off the ball. He saw this again late and even tried to hold him. And he still got there. That was just, that was a good rush. And according to after the post-game press conference, he was he said he was setting him up all day for that. Yeah, he was kind of just bull rushing him and then decided to, to go around him and show a little bit of speed. Uh, here's Ottman Bell again, who is going to be another great wide receiver for Minnesota. This is fourth and one. Nebraska was playing really good goal line defense, but Abraham is just that good. He gets in uh, for the score, puts him up two scores at this point, and now it's Nebraska in rally mode, and they get it to the guy they get it to, Wanda Robinson. Nine targets for him again. Six catches this week. Uh, he's by far the highlight of, of this team, and here's the, the holding penalty we're talking about. Yeah, it's just, this is, it's Illinois, it was a similar situation with Cam Jurgens, and the guy is falling down. 
I mean, doesn't need to do it. I, you, you're coached to fall on him. You are mm-hmm. coached to fall on him, but again, it's just shoot yourself in the foot. I mean, there's no more feet and toes left on this on this football team. Connor Colt makes the uh, the field goal. Now it is simply four-minute offense for Minnesota. And this is best that you're going to see it done in any level on four-minute offense. They threw a big pass to start it off, got a first down, and then it was simply Abraham taking it over and, and getting it down there on the four-minute drive. Nebraska never gets the ball back after giving it up at 425 left in the fourth quarter. Nebraska falls 24-17. to We look at the final stats. They were actually very even. Uh, the big difference, of course, again, Nebraska turnovers. Two turnovers, no turnovers for Minnesota. Minnesota was very good penalty-wise, so was Nebraska. But in the end, it came down to those a couple turnovers and a couple big plays. Yeah, and penalties. Yeah, I mean, those those two penalties, that's that's the difference of eight points because you hold Minnesota to a field goal where they get the target on Tanner Morgan. Nebraska gets the touchdown instead of getting the, get the Colt field goal. So... I'm no math major, but eight points is enough to win a football game. Enough to win the game, no doubt. Let's take a look at our players of the game from Saturday's Minnesota matchup. It was a little bit difficult. I think you can go at Wanda Robinson pretty much every week. You can. He's the only guy you can, I think this, you can rely on that's going to show up for the offense. His offense has been terrible this year, and that's one guy you can say, you know what, he's going to show up and, and, and play, and he right. rely on him. And defense, it was tough because it was just, you know, they just – Defense, they didn't do anything great. They didn't do anything poor except for, you know, the couple big plays. But Yeah, I thought, I thought Nick Heinrich only because of the fact that he steps into a very difficult situation. We talked all sure. week on how difficult it would be on those inside linebackers. And you lose Luke Reimer to the concussion early on. And the Knicks got to come in there and step into a spot that we knew would be challenged. That RPO puts those inside linebackers in a bind. And I thought he played, he played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, he he did a really good job. I mean, that's just it'd be interesting to see if you you know Reimer does not get dinged. If that defense could yeah. get one more stop or close it out a little better, because he has such a good nose for the he ball. He might even make field. that Wally play, right? Because he makes. Yeah, those I know. Plays. It's just mm-hmm. unfortunate timing of that that injury. But yeah, I mean, for a kid coming in there, that's you know getting his true first action of the yeah. season. That's he did very very well. We're joined now by former Husker Damon Benny for his thoughts on the game. Damon, how you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you guys? We're good, man. Let's let's start off with the uh, the mental aspect of the game because I know you talk a lot about that. All these guys are great athletes in high school. You've got to be able to have momentum, keep momentum, be able to mentally win at this game. Do you see a divide there for Nebraska where they're not getting that part of the game done? Yeah, I, I definitely think like you know if I had to kind of mix it up in a bottle and start with my potion to cure what else, I'd start with the mental approach, right? You heard Coach Frost kind of allude to it a little bit where, you know, he talked about starting plays at the beginning of the game and guys kind of waiting around for somebody else to make the play as opposed to seizing the moment and, and not really embracing the opportunity or kind of the EKG, the ping pong system that uh, they go through emotionally up up for, you know, Penn State, but not as crisp as you needed to be for Illinois. And then you're good against Iowa and, and, and Purdue and then Minnesota, you know, you're just kind of wondering where the energy is. And you know, I, the, all that stuff is emotional. It, I don't. I don't think it has much to do with the physical. You could always use better players. Don't get me wrong. There's no doubt about that. But they have good enough players uh, to, to to overcome what I think is ailing them right now. And most of that is the six inches between their ears. DB, I was chatting with Michael before, and I use an analogy. If I'm on a diet and I'm trying to lose some weight, and I'm trying. I'm eating all the right things. I'm doing. I'm following this diet to a T, but I'm not getting the results. I'm not losing this weight. I got to change and try a different diet, right? Like we got to we got to try to do something different. And we keep hearing the practice thing coming up, and right, it's just there's the, there's the disconnect. When is it going to be time to try to do something 
different? I mean, is it is it this week with Rutgers? Is it, is it going into next year? When is when is the time to try a, a different diet and get some better results? Yeah, you may have to. You may be forced to wait into the off season. But I'm a big. I agree with you. I think that's a fantastic analogy. I'm I'm always about the process, right? Like, where are we with our process? I when you become and, and at some point you do need results. But so hear my heart. Uh, that's like not getting the results with the diet, but then you go back to your process. Okay. What is it that we're doing when you hear things like early on in the season, when coach Ross says, you know what, we just got to get a win. I'm thinking, uh Oh, right. Like you do, but what's that have to do with the process? If you're on the right track, stay where you're going. If you're waiting for a win and you get that win, that doesn't necessarily mean that the process doesn't need evaluating either. So, they got to get away from so much about the results and how are they doing business. And that starts at the top. That's the coaching staff, right? Listen, how are we meeting with one another? How are we talking with one another? How do we treat one another? What What's the input position-wise by position-wise? What are we doing in practice that is yielding results? When we grade these things, what what transpires in the game? What are we not missing? Let's go back and take a look at this. Because when you say, you know, that they practice well, you wonder what the benchmark is, right? Like, well, compared to what? Is it no penalties? Is it a certain amount of plays, an X amount of time? Whatever it is, how does that lend itself to progress on Saturdays? Notice I didn't say winning and losing, just progress. Where does that fit with what we believe in and what our culture should be? And how is it not lending itself to Saturdays? You always have to go back and reevaluate where you're at and get a little and get away a little bit from the results because you find them doing the same things over and over again and it's not yielding the results that they want. DB, there's a lot of talk about how the young players at some point they're the problem, especially when it comes to certain plays. You played as a young guy. I know Jay did. Jeremiah Searles coming up, played as a redshirt freshman. How do you get those guys ready to where they're not making those critical mistakes that Scott Frost is talking about in games? Yeah, I think that's all about understanding your personnel and your talent, right? That's what the coach's job has to be. Their jobs are to put players in the best position possible so they can maximize their abilities. And whether you're a young guy or an old guy or uh, maybe you know a little, maybe you don't know a lot. And that's the beauty of it, right? If, If I'm a young guy and I only know a little bit, only give me a little bit to do especially if I can help you win games. If I'm, if I'm a young guy and I can help you do a lot and I know a lot, then handle that accordingly. I think other, other schools find ways to play young guys and to trust. And sometimes you go back to the analogy that Jay used. If you like the way that practice is going and you're having a press conference and you say, and I believe him, I take him at his word, you know, that guys are kind of freezing up a little bit. They're, they're waiting for somebody else to make the play. Maybe that's part of going back and reevaluating that diet. Hey, listen, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on guys that are good Monday through Friday but aren't really transitioning and turning the light on on Saturdays. Maybe I need to start with somebody else, get them ramped up to speed, maybe deal with a few mistakes in practice if I think that it's going to correlate and lend itself to successful Saturday. So that's all about – that's all goes into being able to evaluate young guys, and that's that's part of the – it's part of the job as the coach is to figure out who can do what and who can help you best win games. DB, when I look at this and I'm, okay, you're practicing well, but it's not equating to being productive and, and wins on the football field. So how do you make 
practice just like a game, right? Because in practice, and I, I use a lot of golf analogies as well, because there's a lot of people who can go to the driving range and hit a lot of golf balls and hit them very well. But as soon as they get on the golf course, things are different. It matters. You got to put a score down. You got hazards. You got out of bounds stakes. You got all this stuff in the way. And all of a sudden, there's consequences. So, how do you practice to make, to, to have those consequences? To be like, hey, if you drop a pass, like, they're going to happen, but there's got to be a consequence for dropping that pass. There's got to be a competition. There's got to be something. How, how do you get that? I mean, did you, I mean, looking back at you guys, I mean, obviously with, with T.O., what kind of consequences did you have when you didn't do things well in, 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 in practice? And, and just how, how, does, how does that, that disconnect? It's just, I'm just trying to put it all together in my mind that you practice well, but you don't get the results. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I definitely think that's, that's definitely applicable here. I think for us, uh, when we were playing, you know, you do things long enough and at a certain rate of speed that you yourself know if you're not meeting the standard. See, it goes back to, to what the baseline is, what the benchmark is. People don't want to use the word culture, so we'll find another word. What's the environment in which we're practicing under, and how much stress do I feel like I'm under? It's, it's really critical that practices are as close to game-like situations and game-like settings as much as possible because you always want the games to be a way to show off the work that happened Monday through Friday. You want those to almost be easier, whether it's from a conditioning standpoint, whether it's the price you pay for mental mistakes, uh, whatever that is, right? The next man, up, maybe rotating bodies like you normally would in a game or, Hey, listen, if you don't like the way that somebody did something a couple of times in a row, Maybe they need to go find something else different to do for 10 or 15 minutes. That's typically how it would go in a game. You want as much practice simulation as you can with those high-pressure, high-stakes situations. Make it competitive where things are on the line, winning and losing. I think everything has to be about competition in the previous setting to make it I guess to have it go along with and coincide with what happens in the games. If it's, if there's very little at stake Monday through Friday, it's hard to light switch that thing on Saturday. Something has to be at stake a significant amount of the time Monday through Friday to give you the best feel that your game prepared. 6.30 Rutgers Friday night, Damon. It's going to be cold, probably even single digits. No Brennan Hymas playing left tackle. For the people who are there, they better want to be there, right? This is one of those games where you can't – there's no half measures in this game. Yeah, zero half measures. I like that, the little Breaking Bad reference. <laughs> uh, you know, and the thing about it is, it, when's the last time Rutgers won four games? Was it 2017 maybe? At I, least. I don't know. This is the first year for Coach Ciano. They're playing above expectation levels, right? This is a team that had a, a win total, I think, at one and a half or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've already had a better season than most experts thought. And they're excited to be playing this game. Remember, they started out with a lot of COVID issues. They were quarantined. Coach Gianna moved those guys. He basically put them on lockdown in their own little mini campus hotel. And they see light at the end of the tunnel. I think they feel like they've made progress. So for them, and you have to travel, they're excited. And the weather won't be great. It'll be extremely cold. You'll see a lot of snow that'll be lining the stadium and the sidelines when you're out there. You better want to be there because it's not a game for the faint of heart, especially at this stage, this critical stage in the season where you've had a lot of time to reflect 
just how bad you want it to be out there to play this season and to begin with, it should culminate with you you giving your maximum effort on Friday night against Rutgers because I'm pretty sure they will. Thanks, Damon. We'll see you in the morning. All right, we'll see you, buddy. All right, Damon Benning, a former Husker. Up next on the show, we'll be joined by another former Husker, this time a former offensive lineman, Jeremiah Searles, to talk more about the Minnesota game and this Friday's matchup. As we go to break, images from a snowy Memorial Stadium with photos from Hale Varsity. We're back soon. It was a little thing here and there again, and, and that keeps plaguing our offense. Um, you know, I said it after the game. I you know really felt like we were kind of turning a corner because uh, practice has been really sharp for the last three weeks, and, and last week was really sharp. We still got football to play, so I think everybody just still had that motivation to go out there and go do what they do. We all got a ball. We can't just give it up now. We still got one more game, so it's time to go even harder. We were surprised with the text on Sunday that we were playing that Friday. Um, and so we, we just had to know that we had to come back to work tomorrow or the next day and um, ready to work and go get a W. I mean, our, our guys are they're really good kids. They just want to compete and play. They're, they're excited about another opportunity to play. And uh, the effort's been there and the execution's been there. And so now the big thing is, and I know all the media and fans are worried about, we, we got to execute on Saturday. All right, we're pleased to be joined by former Husker offensive lineman Jeremiah Searles. Jeremiah, how you doing? I'm doing well, guys. How about yourselves? We're doing well. We'd, we'd appreciate coming off of a win to do this show, but we are where we are. Um, you said after the postgame show, because there's a lot of times where Scott Frost references the young guys. By this time in the season, they're really no young guys, are they? I mean, these guys, have, they played a lot of games at this point. Yeah, absolutely not. I talked about that on uh, the fifth quarter there with Ben McLaughlin talking about I played as a young guy. Jay, I'm sure you played as a young guy. After about four games, I don't really consider yourself a young guy anymore because if you've started four, five, six games, you have more playing experience than 90% of the guys on that roster now. And so I think that that kind of narrative has to shift. It has to shift from you're a young guy to why aren't you putting it all together? And as a coach, you have to look at that and go, okay, is it on the field? Is it during practice? Is it in the film room? Is it a combination of both? Is it the weight room? You're not physically ready. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but by this point in the season, you should be ready to perform like a veteran, even if it's your first year starting. Searles, I've been going to the season. I put a lot of money into the O-line stock. Now, I don't know if I've definitely gotten a good ROI <laughs> on, out of that investment. Did, were you heavy into that stock as well? Just with the, the guys coming back, the, the amount starts. of the, the starts, the, the experience. Uh, were, you, were you heavy on that, that stock as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that you have two guys that can play in the NFL and Brendan Hymas and Matt Farniak. And you look across the board, you think, okay, Cam Jurgens going into his second year fully starting. He's going to turn the corner and become that physical presence in the middle that's going to get everyone lined up. And then you look at the left guard, and you got a young guy, Ethan Piper. And I think it's always good to have young guys when you're out there mixed in with the older guys because that's how you groom those guys so that when the older guys leave, there's not just giant voids in there, right? you got Bryce Benhart, young guy, Ethan Piper, young guy, and then you got three guys that have started multiple seasons now. And so I thought for sure, and then even, shoot, watching the Ohio State game right from the get, I mean, running the ball against one of a tough defense and right down the field on the opening drive, I was like, okay, well, this is going to be a, a season where we can finally rely heavily on the offensive line, which we haven't had. And to see where we started, to see now where we're ending up, 
something, there's a disconnect somewhere, and I'm not 100% where it is, but there's definitely something going on where there should be more coming out of this group than they're getting. Former Oscar offensive lineman Jeremiah Searles joining us here on the wrap-up. You mentioned Brendan Hymas. He's opting out. He's not going to play at Rutgers. First of all, as a former player, could you imagine making that decision, even if you know you're an NFL guy? And what do you think about the guy behind him that's going to take his spot? Probably a Turner Corcoran can play out there. Yeah, so it's interesting to me. I see it from both ways. As as a player and a guy that made that decision to go to the NFL, you look at it and you I would die to have one more shot to go out there with my boys. And I mean, I remember my last game was a chance to beat Georgia and we did beat Georgia in the Gator Bowl and I wouldn't have given that up for the world. But you look at a guy like Brendan Hymas, who's done a ton for this program. He's been a main staple at left, at left tackle, which is a very hard position to play. And so I see it from both sides of, in all reality, and I hate saying this because it's not, it's going to come off wrong, but it is a meaningless game for him in that stand of it's not going to change his draft stock. It's not going to change his body of work. But at the same time, there's, there's got to be some reason why he didn't feel that want to and that desire to go out and play with his buddies. And I don't, I don't live in Brendan's head. Um, I, I know Brendan. I have a lot of respect for him. I'll say this. So I, I am excited that he's not going to start one more because that keeps my record safe of the 41. 41- <laughs> So he was going to tie me this week. So I still have that record, but tough decision. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. I'm sure it wasn't an easy one to make. When you look at overall offensive line play, which we talked a lot about, Cam Jurgens had the problems with snapping early. Seems that's been fixed. What are your thoughts about that process of getting in his head, I'm assuming, because the physical part is, is one part of it, but also you don't want to have the yips. What do you think about that process and how it's developed over the season? I think it, I mean, obviously the last two games has gotten a lot better. And Jay, I was watching the show earlier. You're talking a lot of golf analogies. And it, it's one thing, and I think I tell people this all the time, when the first time you start going golfing, you have about 100 people tell you how to swing the club, right? You say, hey, you're doing this. Put your feet together. Do this, do this, do this. And so I, a lot of that can happen when you first start playing center too. And then it all gets magnified on game day, right? So say you have one high snap on game day. You got your quarterback as you come off the sideline like, hey, the snap's high. Then you got your offensive line coach that's like, dude, you got to get the snap down, snaps high. And then you usually have the head coach, and then you usually have one or two yahoos on the sideline that aren't playing that are like, hey, do you notice your snaps high? And you're like, dude, I get it. My snaps high. Like, And then it's really all you can think about. And when you start overthinking one simple thing that you've done a million times of get the ball from the ground to the quarterback, you start messing with it. Well, maybe my footwork, maybe my, my weight's different. Maybe I need to put the ball out further, put the ball closer. And One thing I did notice is over the last two games, he hasn't had the ball out in front of him as far Mm -hmm. when he's snapping. It's more underneath his shoulders, so there's less movement and less pendulum swing, which the farther you have the ball out, you usually point the nose of the football down, and so when you follow through with your hand, it goes high right. If you just think of the natural way that your hand follows through from underneath, it's high right. So I think that it's been a really good job by Coach Austin, whoever's really got a chance to get him going there through the snaps because he is physically very impressive. I mean, athletically, what he can do is really nice, and we need him in the middle. Jeremiah, we were talking, uh, Michael and I were talking before, just getting in the flow of a game and getting mm. off to good starts. And for an O-line, how and you've, you've played, obviously, it's college and NFL. What is a way O-linemen like to get in the flow of a game? Do they like to come out and pass pro right away, or they like to, let's, let's get down and let's, <laughs> let's get nasty and run this thing? Yeah, exactly. That's what I, that's what I thought you would say. You know, and, and Nebraska comes out and they're like, even in this bowl game, you know, where Minnesota was dead last in, against the run in the Big Ten, almost seven yards a, a click. So it's a rather surprising start and how many times they threw the ball. And uh, as an old lineman, you got to be like a little, ugh, let's, 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 let's get our hands, let's get dirty in there a little bit. 
Yeah. I mean, as, I, as an O-lineman, I don't know if you'll ever meet an O-lineman that's like, yeah, dude, let's throw the ball 60 times a game. <laughs> like, no one likes pass blocking that many times a game, mostly because you're blocking guys that are way more athletic than you, way faster on the other side. But when you run the football, effectively it really allows you to kind of lean on a guy over and over and over again. If you really look at what Minnesota did against Nebraska, they really didn't run the ball super effective the whole game, mm-hmm. but they stuck with it, right? They, they, were, they were true to who they are, which is they run four plays. It's very simple. And, but they just stepped chugging along and chugging along, and then eventually you saw it finally pop in the fourth quarter when they needed it the most, right? And so a lot of, like, that's what is an O-lineman. You have to stay with a lot, and you get into the groove of leaning on guys and getting after guys, and that's how you do it. And then you get a chance to pass pro 20 times a game instead of 40. But the big thing you said there, Jay, that's super important is getting off to a fast start. The team that gets off to a fast start then dictates the tempo and dictates the pace of the rest of the entire game. You don't have to stray from your game plan, which you saw us do against Purdue. We get out to an early lead. We then dictate everything. We are able to control the clock, control the drives, not have to be outside of ourselves. And when we fell behind this week, we never really got to our game plan. I think we were always playing catch up. Even when we had the lead there, it felt like we were playing catch up a little bit. And so with a young team, it's really hard to continue to play catch up. And even Scott Frost talked about it in his post game. Have we never gotten a rhythm? Well, the best way to get an offense in the rhythm is just run the dang football. Jeremiah, you know, one of the things we've talked about going into the season with the questions on defense. What do you think about the way the defense played? Eric Chenander, the way he's done, the outside linebackers, we had a lot of questions about. What do you think about the way the defense has played so far this year? I thought that they, they've been a little bit up and down, um, kind of a little bit of a roller coaster, but it's really steadied out the last couple games. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the players are absolutely buying in to the plan that Shenander has week in and week out. I think you saw it against Iowa. Of, hey, we're going to stop the run. They held Iowa to their basically lowest run total the entire year. And coming up to that game, Iowa had been running at will against all their opponents. Then you look at Purdue and it's like, hey, we're going to let Rondell Moore and we're going to have Bell get their catches, but we're just not letting anything over our heads. Like we're going to rally to the football and everyone just buys into what their job is. And if you have 11 guys on defense buying into what their job is, everything's going to be okay. And so I think the, the improved line play of Ty Robinson, Casey Rogers, Ben Stilley, those three guys have really made this front seven go, in my opinion, and why you've seen when Colin Miller's been out or Luke Reimer's been out, that the linebackers continue to be able to have success because when you have D linemen eating up offensive linemen and double teams and zone blocks, it allows those linebackers to diagnose and get downhill and really be able to do things a lot faster. So I think a lot of it has to do with Chenander's planning and playing to his strengths of his players and then also the physicality of those three guys up front. What are you expecting this Friday? Now 6.30, it's going to be very cold. Nebraska playing at Rutgers. What do you, what do you think? Because we've seen the roller coaster, right? So this should be an up part of the roller coaster. What are you expecting on Friday? I'm hoping to see more of the same. In anything, you, I hope to see more improvements from the black shirts, right? I mean, this is a Rutgers team that is playing good football. Uh, I think Shiana's doing a nice job up there. I, I think he's got these guys playing really well. I've studied them when they were playing Illinois, mm-hmm. and I studied them quite a bit. And so I'd like to see us be able to get after the passer a little bit more without, without pressure. And I think that's the one big thing missing from this defense right now is a guy that can continue to get after the quarterback when you only send four. 
right? You, you need, I'm not saying we need a Randy Gregory or we need a Malik Collins, but someone that you can rely on that, like, you know, it's third and long and you don't want to blitz, but you know that you're going to get some type of pressure, which has been Ben Stilly over the last couple of weeks, right? Mm-hmm. He's done a phenomenal job getting to the quarterback. So I'd like to see him continue to do that, but also see someone like Caleb Tanner or Garrett Nelson or someone step up and have a double digit sack game this game. That'd be a great way for them to end the season and build a lot of confidence moving into the 2021 offseason. Last thing, who, who put together your home studio? It looks pretty sharp. Uh, it, it's, it's actually my home studio, so I do a yeah. lot of work for the Husker Sports Network there. So do everything virtually now because 2020 is yeah. what it is. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I also I stream on Twitch, so I got I got the jerseys hanging up in the background and the whole bit here. So I like my little man cave I got. I got a big TV up here. This is my my command center for game days. So I love being able to watch football now and not have to be the guys running my head into the other guys. <laughs> it looks pretty good. Thanks, Jeremiah. We appreciate it. Hey, absolutely, guys. Go Big Red. No doubt. You know, stadiums are often shrines to teams that fill them. Memorial Stadium, for instance. A little bit of paper and patience. One fan is recreating those stadiums he loves piece by piece. I was always interested in the design of them, and uh, it's almost like every stadium is a little challenge. It's a bit of a gigantic art, art project, which I guess is what architecture is anyways. So that kind of drew, drew me into the, the uniqueness of stadiums. As a kid, I was always in the sport. My two biggest things were sports and drawing. And eventually, it morphed into like drawing stadiums, drawing fields. As I got older, I found myself looking for a hobby. And it kind of, you know, 20 years after I stopped drawing stadiums, I kind of came back to that. It started off as, you know, let's just see if I can design my own little stadium just for the fun of it out of cardboard. And I started finding out better ways to do it. And eventually realized paper was the cheapest and, and uh, easiest way to build these stadiums because uh, I work at a school and I would just pull paper out of the recycling bins and use that. So I literally um, built them for free until I started churning out faster and had to buy supplies. So the first three stadiums they were just kind of made up stadiums and then the fourth one was the first one I modeled after anything I built Rosenblatt Stadium. I grew up down the street from Rosenblatt and then just being in Omaha and uh, having that attachment to that stadium is fun to kind of build that as almost a tribute to the stadium. And then the next thing I did was Memorial Stadium. Uh, and anybody, you know, obviously growing up in Nebraska, there's emotional attachment to that. What really changed it and made this kind of a bigger thing is my buddy, because I was sending him pictures like, hey, look what I'm doing. My buddy said, hey, you should start a uh, Twitter account because I'm sure a lot of people would enjoy this. And I thought, oh, I'm sure there'll be a couple dozen people that think this is cool, so why not? So I started that and it ended up being a couple thousand people that enjoy it and some of my videos have had hundreds of thousands of views and it's kind of fun. It's always fun seeing people appreciate something that um, you spend a lot of time on and spend a lot of, uh, do a lot of effort and really care about and put a lot of energy into. Stadiums are one of the only buildings that you can connect memories to. Like I always, I keep saying, telling people like you have your child at home and a stadium usually, if you're a sports fan, that you can look back at and have so many memories in those places. This has become something that's been really rewarding and fulfilling. I found out through social media that there were there are hundreds of people that were just like me growing up that drew stadiums and drew fields and were obsessed with the stuff. And we thought 
it was such a niche and nobody else did this. So I've, that's kind of been cool finding out that I was sitting there in seventh grade class not paying attention drawing Memorial Stadium and there was other kids all over the nation obsessed with this stuff. And it's not necessarily like I'm a millennial that just is looking for social media clout. It's more just people enjoy what I'm doing and if somebody enjoys what you're doing it's it's really inspirational and it's really it really inspires me to want to do it some more so that more people can enjoy it. And if it's something that brightens somebody day, somebody's day for 10 seconds, that's something cool to me that I like. I can really hang my hat on and be proud of, that I'm putting out this social media content that makes somebody smile. That's pretty cool. Next up on the wrap-up, Sean Callahan joins us to take a look at where Nebraska recruiting stands as early signing day is this Wednesday. Before we head to break, though, another look at Saturday's game against Minnesota, courtesy of Hale Varsity. Stay with us. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us on The Wrap-Up. I'm Michael Severe, joined now by Sean Callahan. It's kind of Christmas Eve a little bit, Sean, right? With you know, early just, signing period tomorrow? It just doesn't have the same feel, Michael. I mean, I've been covering signing days pretty intensely since about 2000, so this is really my 20th or 21st one, and this one just has such a different feel because I feel like we just don't know these kids at the level we normally do mm-hmm. because the coaches aren't in the living rooms you don't see the, the in-home visit pictures going on like you normally would. Official visits, home game weekends, um, no camps this summer, no spring game. So everything about tomorrow is different. Then, by the way, Nebraska plays a game Friday. So yeah. this is such an odd year. Uh, but it's for this. It's every, everyone's dealing with the same thing Nebraska is, obviously. So uh, they've done a heck of a job, I think, putting this class together. And I think the thing that jumps out to me is, for the most part, it has been drama-free. And we know... Michael, with covering Nebraska recruiting over the years together, uh, that doesn't happen a lot. So I, I do like the makeup of this class. I think all these kids are here for the right reasons. And I, don't, I just don't feel that drama uh, maybe coming that we've seen on past signing days. Yeah, let's talk about one of the kids in this class, Nebraska recruit and commit. Latrell Neville joining us here, the wide receiver. Latrell, we appreciate your time. How are you doing? I'm good, and you? I'm good, man. Tell me why Nebraska. Why did you end up uh, committing to Nebraska out of Houston? Uh, my relationship with Scott Frost and uh, Coach Lubick really uh, just jumped out to me. You know, they've uh, stayed consistent through everything. You know, even the time when I was committed to Virginia Tech, you know, they stayed consistent and recruited me, and uh, they took the time out to get to know me and my family, and that really spoke a lot to me. But uh, just knowing what they can do offensively, you know, two uh, great offensive-minded coaches, and uh, they're not, it's not their first time being together either. You know, they have uh, history together at Oregon, you know, and same with Coach Frost at UCF. No, who wouldn't want to play, with that, play for that guy? You know, so uh, that's just about it. Latrell, tomorrow is signing day. Give us an idea. It's not a normal signing day. Um, you're not going to see the big school assemblies like we are used to seeing at some of these places. Uh, what is your day going to look like? And uh, what's your plans? Are you going to be here in January to start classes at Nebraska right away? Uh, no, sir. Uh, I planned on that first, but uh, due to my school not allowing it, I'll be uh, enrolling in the summer. But tomorrow I'll just be signing my letter of intent. Uh, at 8 a.m. in my high school gym with my teammates and family. Patrol, what was the season like for you? Because, you know, COVID certainly changed everything a little bit. What was the season like for you and your team? Uh, 
the season has been uh, pretty odd. You know, we uh, usually play like a 10-game schedule with uh, three preseason games and seven regular season, but we haven't got that opportunity. We ended up only playing one, but uh, we still got the chance to play in the playoffs. We're actually playing in uh, round two this week, you know, and I mean, I just feel as if it made us closer and everything because we have multiple bye weeks, so it just gave us more time to spend together, you know, and uh, just enjoy each other's company. So, I mean, that's one of the most positive things that we got out of it. Latrell, you've obviously had a chance to watch Nebraska this year. What do you think you're going to bring to the table as far as your skill set as a wide receiver? Uh, a big and fast wide out that can take the top off any defense, but uh, also a guy who can uh, catch the ball and uh, you know just make something happen. You know, make something out of nothing. You know, uh, I'm a playmaker. I make I'm a big play waiting to happen. You know, so uh, give me the ball in space and I'll make something happen with it. Latrell, you have a very musical last name, a, a family that has done a lot of great music over the days. Are you, are you musically inclined? You play an instrument? You sing? You doing that stuff? I, I wouldn't say that I do any, do any of those things, but I, I do have a great ear for music. Do you have a favorite kind of music? Uh, no, sir, not, not exactly. You know, I, I like all kinds of music. Last thing, Latrell, the idea of coming to Nebraska, leaving home, coming to the Midwest – What's that feeling like? What do, you, what do your parents think about it? What do you think about going away from the South and, and heading up to the Midwest? Uh, we're all excited. You know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a different experience, but a great opportunity. You know, uh, I've grown up in the South all my life, and I've never got the opportunity to really see snow or anything like that. Mm. So it'll definitely be a change. And, uh, I mean, I'm really just happy for this opportunity. I just can't wait. Latrell, we really appreciate it. Enjoy tomorrow, even though it'll be a little bit different. Uh, have a good time tomorrow. All right, thank you. Thank you, Latrell Neville, six foot four wide receiver out of Houston. Sean, let's talk about Jake Applegate. Um, I don't believe I've seen him play. Tell me a little bit more about him, the in-state recruit. I'll tell you, Michael, uh, he is very impressive. Um, goes six three, six four. Had a verified thirty-eight inch vertical, I believe, at the Steve Warren camp. Uh, one of the top verticals that day um, of all the in-state kids that were there in area prospects. Um, he's a legit four six kid, so um, kind of fits in that inside linebacker, outside linebacker mold. Um, you saw him just truck a guy. I was at this game when they played Creighton Prep, and uh, that was one of the best plays I saw in person all year. I mean, I saw quite a bit. Uh, that was one of the better plays I had saw seen anybody make. But um, you know, he was the red zone threat for Southeast. He was a, a playmaker on the edge. Uh, Tuioti, his teammate, who's just yeah. a sophomore, got two offers this week. Personally, Michael, I think he's the better prospect, and I think because no one else has offered him yet, um, it's kind of sl- uh, you know. But I, I think he is a power five guy. I think you're going to see the Iowas and the Minnesotas and the regional teams, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see all those teams offer this guy uh, when it's all said and done. And I do believe defense is where he fits, even though he's been a very good receiver for Lincoln Southeast this year. Not going to be a full class. Scott Frost said they like to have those open if there is a guy to transfer, maybe a graduate transfer, or maybe just for a walk-on. What's missing in terms of bringing somebody in for next year that can play right away? You know, they're going to sign a grad transfer inside linebacker from Northern Iowa, and that's going to help replace some of the guys they've lost. But I think you have to see what it's going to look like on the other side, which other linebackers are going to go pro or just move on. Are they all gone? I think the secondary, though, when you talk about Deontay Williams, mm-hmm. DiCaprio Boodle, and Markel Smuke, that's three of four starters. 
And then questions now surrounding um, injuries to Miles Farmer, um, Braxton Clark coming off injuries. So I would think in the defensive backfield, you might want to look for a transfer. <laughs> There's been plenty of them. I, yeah. I tweeted today just in the last week, I think uh, we've seen 167 transfer portal entries wow. since December 8th. Um, in college football, and that's just the start. So um, there's not going to be enough spots for all these guys to go. And, you know, Nebraska, I think one of the ways they're creative, Michael, at the transfer portal, uh, they'll get a guy to walk on and then put him on scholarship the next year mm-hmm. um, and figure out a way to make it work because they only get 25 initials. And if you take a transfer and put them on, they count on the 25. Well, if you wait, now like uh, Oliver Martin, mm-hmm. he's going to go on scholarship maybe right away now and won't count on their 25. So you've got to get creative with the numbers. And I think Nebraska with Connor Culp, Oliver Martin, they did a pretty good job this year of doing that and getting those guys to walk on, and then they can get a scholarship here down the road. Yeah, red shirt, blue shirt, green shirt, all different kinds of shirts to get it done. Thanks, Sean. Be sure to vote on this week's sideline survey question. It's a really easy question. Have you seen improvement from Nebraska under Scott Frost over the last three years? 79% of, 75% of the people are saying, yes, they have seen it. Go to the website. You can vote there at the wrap-up website. Cast your vote and get your opinion in there. Now it's time to take a quick look around the Big Ten this week. The conference changed the rules last week in order to get Ohio State to play in the title game. Imagine if they didn't and Indiana couldn't play in the title game with COVID. It would have been crazy. The matchup, of course, is against Northwestern, scheduled for Saturday at 11 o'clock our time. Iowa continues their hot streak, coming back to get a big win. Their sixth straight win, this time over Wisconsin, 28-7. And Rutgers pulled out the win against Maryland without their starting quarterback, 27-24. All right, so Rutgers, it's going to be cold. Nebraska knows good defensive line for Rutgers. The offense is pretty good. Sean, what are you hearing in terms of uh, Noah Vedral? Probably won't play with that ankle injury? Yeah, I don't think he will play. I mean, the people I've talked to at Rutgers this week said it, it looks doubtful. I know Greg Schiano said on Monday they're optimistic. And I know Noah wants to play this mm. week, but he took a pretty nasty turn. In fact, the guy from Maryland that twisted 30. his ankle got suspended for yeah. a half by Mike Loxley himself because it was a pretty malicious play that happened that caused the injury. But, um, you know, for Noah's sake, it'd be cool. I mean, think about this. He played basketball for Nebraska in March against Indiana, and he could be playing quarterback for Rutgers against Nebraska <laughs> in December. That is crazy. What do you think uh, the matchup's going to look like, Jay? What are you expecting? I know it's hard to, to figure it out because we don't know from week to week, but what are you expecting against Rutgers? <sighs> <laughs> A deep sigh. Oh, yeah. man. I, I don't know. I Honestly, I've been tricked in, in <laughs> I, my expectations. I, I've expected him to play well you know, against Illinois. It doesn't happen. I expect him to play well against Minnesota. Mm-hmm. doesn't happen. It wouldn't surprise me for Nebraska to come out and play well. You know, I, I, we were discussing, you know, when we were recording our uh, previous uh, prediction segment that the equipment trucks already left yep. for, for New Jersey to, to beat the weather. So Nebraska is going to be without pads. So they're going to have their helmets. They have practice helmets, but they're not going to have shoulder pads. So they're, they're, I don't know if they're going to prepare well. You know, you're not going to get a good physical practice in. So to me, that's a little alarming, but it wouldn't surprise me if they came out and played well just because it's, it's different. It just seems like... This so far in 2020 and this the last couple of years when you're kind of expecting the worst, they surprise you. And I wouldn't surprise them to come out and play well against Rutgers because I don't think anyone else is expecting them to play well right now. A lot of bowls getting canceled, Sean, but three wins for Nebraska, would that get them in a bowl, you think? Here's what, what's going on right now, Michael. I, I think there are potentially seven teams already in the Big Ten that just don't want to play in bowls. Right. And that's what, if Nebraska plays in a bowl, that's why. Um, I, I don't know if 
Purdue, Michigan, Maryland, Minnesota, Wisconsin, a number of these teams, Michigan State. Um, I don't know if they necessarily want to play in a bowl, if their administrations want to at this point. And that, in its own sense, would allow Nebraska that opportunity. Um, I, know, I know Rutgers wants to play in a bowl. So this is a big game for them because mm-hmm. they just want to keep playing. And I think Nebraska is in that same boat. I know it's painful for the fans. Last week's game was tough. Um, but I, I do believe – they're in the back of their mind. They're ready for that, and they'll know right away by Sunday if it's a reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the athletic directors from the Big Ten are meeting weekly, daily. They know who's in, who's out, and as long as the Big Ten gets two New Year's Six spots, which Indiana should get a Fiesta Bowl spot, mm-hmm. there will be seven bowl spots, and Nebraska could be that seventh team that might ship them to. A week from now, yeah. out in Arizona for a December 26, 9 o'clock Central Time kick against the Big 12 team in Chase Field in Phoenix. So yeah. that's something to watch. I, I know it seems like a pipe dream, but I'm telling you, it's more of a reality than you think. And most likely with no fans. Look at your burning question, Sean. My burning question is this young offensive line, three freshmen, one sophomore, and then Matt Farniak, the, the senior. What will it look like? In my time covering Nebraska, this, and I believe this has to be the youngest offensive line Nebraska has ever put on the field in the program's modern-day history. How will they look on the road against Rutgers? Real quick, Jay. Yeah, where's their head at? Where's the team's head at after a disappointing loss? And one of your you know, leaders, Hymas, has, has, has stepped out. Where's their head at going into this potentially last game of the, of, of the 2020 season? Mine's simple. Can Adrian Martinez make the passes he has to make to be able to win the game? Didn't make it last week. Can he make it this week? Don't forget to head to our website and the Facebook page to click on the prediction. Jay and I will tell you exactly what to expect on Saturday. Nebraska hopes to end things in 2020 with a win as they head to Piscataway to take on Rutgers. That game is scheduled for 6.30 now Central Time. It'll be on the Big Ten Network. We're back for our final show in 2020 to recap that game and look at a list of early signees for Nebraska following the early signing period next Tuesday, our special guest to help us wrap the whole season up is Parker Gabriel from the Lincoln Journal Star. Our thanks to Jeremiah Searles, Damon Benning, Latrell Neville for joining us tonight. For Jay Moore and Sean Callahan, I'm Michael Severe. We'll see you next week on NET's Big Red Wrap-Up.